you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Urban Shooter Podcast. This is episode 119, Protecting Your Assets, about body armor, and a little message about Father's Day. All this and a whole lot more coming up on this special edition of the Urban Shooter Podcast. Walk 47 miles of barbed wire. I got a cobra snake for a necktie. I got a brand new house on the roadside, and it's made of rattlesnake hide. I got a brand new chimney put on top, and it's made of a human skull. Come on, take a little walk with me, baby, and tell me who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Podcasting live, under the washer and the dryer, outside the nation's capital. It's your friend, it's your brother from a different mother, it's Ken Blanchard. Thank you for joining me again on the Urban Shooter Podcast. Protective clothing. Right after JW gives us our Pledge of Allegiance. I almost don't want this party to stop. of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Who do you love? I hope it's me. Hi, my name is Ken Blanchard, and thank you for joining another episode of the Urban Shooter Podcast. This is a fun-filled, factual, and low-fat episode for all law-abiding, fun-loving gun owners of the nation's cities. Now, you don't even have to be a city dweller, a metropolitan person to be an urban shooter. It's just somebody who realizes that someday more of us than not will have to shoot at indoor ranges. And we have to deal with a lot more crazy stuff, a lot more legislation. And because of it, you need to have a good sense of humor. Can I get an amen and a boom shakalakalaya? On this podcast, it's going to be a little longer than normal because I got a really complete um, interview and some comments that follow about 
body armor because one of the listeners had a question about body armor and I aims to please. Now, if you are a new listener, I want you to know that you can contact me because all the old listeners know all over the place. You can call me at toll free 888-772-6262 and I'll get your information and return the call. Or you can email me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just a click away at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Yep, that's the deal. Also, I'm on Facebook. Look for Ken Blanchard with two N's or Twitter, Ken Blanchard with two N's. That's me. That's your friend and brother. A lot going on now. Summer is here. Time to go out and enjoy some life. I know that you might be um, working outside or bicycling or doing some physical activity, but take your brother along with me. Plug me in onto your MP3 player and let's uh, share a ride to work together or whenever you're feeling down and you need a chuckle, give me a shout. If you got a good joke you want to share, send it to my email too. It's more than just a podcast. This is a community here. I'm just glad to be a part of it. And everybody who is a listener, we're pretty close. And you can tell that by Facebook and all the other stuff that I'm on. You would think this is the only job I have. And actually, I'm working it like it is. Why is that? Because this is not a labor at all. It's not even a hobby. I'm doing something I've been wanting to do all my life. And now I can. And it makes me feel good. You'll find the show notes on UrbanShooterPodcast.com. And you might even find something extra on KenBlanchard.com. That's my blog, which has links to everything I do. Also, there is the uh, flagship BlackManWithAGun.com. And I probably need to update that thing and do something special to it. But for right now, KenBlanchard.com and the show notes page for Urban Shooter dot us and urban shooter podcast.com are the mainstays did you get all that i know a lot of stuff but you can find it all out if you just ask we're gonna start off with the news first and then i'll find some other stuff we'll talk about father's day and the very last piece will be the special section on body armor all right let's get cracking News for this week is short, but happy. My friend, Joe, CEO of Hero-Gear.com, has just announced that the store itself has made its first Hero 15 lower receiver for the AR. This is straight out of Winchester, Tennessee. Now, these lowers, along with their matched upper receivers, will serve as a foundation for their new line of high-quality AR-style rifles due out later this summer. And you're hearing about it first on the Urban Shooter Podcast. Now, these rifles will be hand-built with the very best parts and components available. And each rifle comes in a, you know, whatever you want, whether it be carbine, DRM, SBR, and even select fire. And of course, all BATFE restrictions apply. But the good part is, proceeds from each sale go to the customer's choice of four Hero Gear-supported charities. Now, to do this, they utilize that billet process and a patent-pending nylon set screw, which ensures a tight upper-to-lower fit 100% of the time. Each upper and lower receiver starts off as a solid block 
of 6061 aluminum billet before it starts a long and labor-intensive process of being CNC machined into a hard anodized process, which you know as the Hero 15. Now, it's stronger than the castings, reinforced for a receiver extension tube, has a low shelf, and it's RDIAS ready. It's hard anodized and a marked multi-caliber for your building needs. Stay tuned for updates on the Hero 15, and you can check it all out on hero-gear.com. And I also have this on urbanshooterpodcast.com as a link. All right, that's it for the news. Now, something special. Something popped up into my spirit as I was eating breakfast this morning. And even though this show is not time sensitive, the message is timely. What I mean is on June 20th and 21st, you know, even if it's past, it was a holiday that unless you were directly involved, may have went unnoticed. And I want to pull your coat to it right now. After President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, to go in effect on January 1st, 1863, the memo didn't get out immediately, like it does now with our news. President Lincoln didn't have CNN, Twitter, or bloggers like us to do the Facebook thing. Slavery was an unpopular topic, just like race relations is right now. Thirteen states celebrate around this time a holiday called Juneteenth. African Americans, former slaves, celebrate that the word finally got out that slavery was over. They call it Juneteenth. It took a couple of years in Texas, I think, for the word to get from Washington, D.C. and for slaveholders to stop the inhumane treatment of other humans. The 10th Cavalry Gun Club that I founded and passed on celebrate their independence, and the shooting heritage once a year with a free shoot in Marriott'sville, Maryland. Now, it's open to all, and it's focused on history, safety, and the sports of freedom we enjoy. Race. I wish it weren't still an issue in 2009, but it still is. I use it, actually, to shock people with a black man with a gun name, and it shouldn't raise an eyebrow at all, but it still does. I've experienced racism from all levels. I can remember being chased by white supremacists in my early teens. I know a little bit about discrimination. I can sense it. I can smell it. I can see it still. But you, my brothers and sisters, have managed to get past that heritage of hate. We defy culture. And we've made our own tribe. We are black, white, Native American, French, English, GBLNT, and cover the gamut of the diaspora. And you acknowledge the fact that whenever you let me call you brother, sister, or friend, you get it. You understand. But do you also realize it is our own tribe, our nation, that is persecuted now? You and, our, you and I now are the subset of our community. You and I are now a minority. 
not by color, ethnicity, or gender, but because we are gun owners. We are discriminated against and painted in broad, stereotypical brushes. We're dismissed as violent, unsociable, cave-dwelling buffoons, bitter, Bible-thumping, some of us, gun owners, clinging to some other word other than that of the political powerful psychophants perpetrating Polonius preventures of puppetry and false piety. Wow, where'd that come from? Well, think about it. All we're trying to do is live free, live independently, live according to the tenets founded by this great nation. And that makes you and I a minority. So why doesn't the ACLU protect us? Just a thought. And then my next day of celebration is Father's Day. Fathers are more than sperm donors. We are more than one half of the DNA makeup of our children. Chris Rock said that all we get on Father's Day is the big piece of chicken. I know you deserve more. You deserve to know that even if you didn't receive some of the love of your father growing up, you have one. And even if you are jacked up right now in your own family, as long as you do the right things, people can change. Leave the light on. Prodigal sons and daughters come home. Kids taken away from you in divorce find their fathers as adults. Our justice system is sometimes real hard on men. Truth is, love never dies. Don't kill it. Love your children, no matter what the mothers do to you. And if you lose your child in a custody battle, love them from afar till the thing changes, and they always do after time. Never quit on love. Women that seek to withhold their children from their fathers lose in the long term if you don't get down on it and self-destruct. Don't go in a pit with them. Let them fight by themselves. No one can emasculate you without your permission. Being meek is not a weakness. It's self-discipline. Love still covers a multitude of sins. And there are a lot of men that we hunt with, shoot with, and party with that have some private pain related to fatherhood, whether it was theirs or what they're doing right now. Buy your brother a cold beverage and show him some love this Father's Day. Sisters, hook up the man in your life. Celebrate his accomplishments. Put some ointment on a wound. If he's doing something right, acknowledge it. It might even encourage somebody else to do the same. We all need that. And for new fathers, congratulations. Do your best and settle for nothing less. No matter what, you are a father. Happy Father's Day, brother. I love you. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Careful, fool. You don't want to hold a job, man. I'm a member of the NRA, man. What's wrong with you? You're too much out of the car. You said. You gave me the same one on that. Say this, my A. Say this, my A. NRA, Negro Retard Association.
the Minister of Defense, the pastor of Paladins, Patriots, and Pistoleros, will be right back after these commercials. This show is sponsored in part by Crossbreed Holsters. Check out the new site and great products for concealed carry at crossbreedholsters.com. Their phone number is 888-732-5011. Have you purchased your zombie targets yet? There are now three to choose from. There is the Zombie 3.0, featuring Missy Sue. There is Zoe the Zombie Bride. And now her partner, Gory the Groom. Each target is sent by USPS. You can mix and match your order and any quantity available for $1.50 each. This show is also sponsored by listeners like you. For $4 a month, you help Ken pay for the background music, software upgrades, bandwidth, subscription, and equipment changes seamlessly. This wouldn't be happening if it weren't for you. He would have had to have quit a while ago. And when his PC got infected, it was the money from the Urban Shooter Association that paid for the virus software that fixed it. The microphone, and now the computer he uses, come from you. Your small sacrifice encourages him to stay up half the night trying to give you a 30-minute mix of inspiration, fun, facts, and firearms. Impressive. Most impressive. Black Man with a Gun by Ken Blanchard is a 148-page book with pictures showing the right way and wrong way to do things, different guns and techniques, and a great primer for new shooters, an icebreaker for the experienced shooter, and a tool for the activist. Black Man with a Gun is a book that easily explains and inspires. With the humor of the most audacious African-American in support of the right to keep and bear arms, Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard is a former U.S. Marine, federal firearms instructor, private investigator, counterterrorist, public speaker, and web personality. Ken has been featured in two documentaries, Fox News, the BBC, the Washington Business Journal, Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, and now with his new podcast, The Urban Shooter on iTunes. In the book, you'll find a letter to my sisters, buying a firearm, the racist roots of gun control, the NRA, your rights, the police, religion, and guns. Get your autographed copy today by visiting Black Man with a Gun com or by calling 888-772-6262. Get your copy now. Gun Rights Radio Network has the best pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun rights podcast available on the net. The podcasts are absolutely free when subscribing using iTunes or Zoom Marketplace. Or if you want, you can just listen from the website. Make sure you visit GunRightsRadio.com to subscribe. Podcasting freedom, one episode at a time. And now, back to the man who's packing more than a browning. Ted, thanks for joining me. What do you got for me, bud? Well, Ken, thanks so much for having uh, LEAA on your uh, show again. It's always a great chance to be here, even uh, in the dark and dreary days with all the politics. It's nice to have a pleasant conversation and talk about something that maybe maybe might help uh, raise some awareness or save some lives, a conversation about soft body armor, all the ins and outs about it, and uh, 
kind of give everybody an introduction class 101 to what it is, how it works, and a little bit about its history. Cool. What you got? Well, soft body armor, a lot of people refer to it as bulletproof vests, which is, of course, not a correct term because just for disclaimer purposes, there's nothing that can actually stop every bullet known to man. So we call it soft body armor. Soft body armor is a series of materials, uh, generally a woven fabric, that comprise many layers that are intended to be both soft yet strong. And the idea is, imagine if you would, taking a bunch of layers of, oh, mesh screening. You lay enough layers of mesh screening over one over each other, it becomes flexible and yet pretty strong. And the space-age materials that they use, whether it be DuPont Kevlar or some of the new Aramid fabrics, fabrics, um, you weave enough of them together, and you actually have a material that is soft and flexible, yet strong enough to actually catch a bullet. So a bullet fires from a gun, it goes at a certain velocity, carries a certain amount of what they call kinetic energy, and this soft woven fabric, layer upon layer of it, can actually catch the bullet uh, before it enters the human body. Now, of course, because it's a soft, fabric-y type material, there is energy that comes from the bullet that pushes through the fabric, and that creates a thing called blunt trauma. So when you talk about soft body armor, you're really talking about two issues. Number one, stopping the bullet from penetrating into the flesh of the human on the other side and having enough uh, oomph in the body armor to take some of that energy out of it so that it doesn't damage the tissue the soft tissue, uh, say, inside the heart or inside the chest or inside the, the stomach area or something like that. Um, so you really want to stop the bullet and you want to absorb enough energy so that the person doesn't die uh, as a result of the energy transfer. So it's all a balancing act. And then, of course, you have to make a product that's light enough and cool enough and comfortable enough for people to wear. And that's always been where the trade-off has been, um, heavier, stronger, thicker, uh, greater ballistic resistance, but higher heat, less comfortable, uh, less likely for people to wear them. Uh, soft body armor was invented uh, more than 30 years ago by a guy named Richard Davis, who uh, you'll appreciate was a former Marine, uh, who then launched his own business as a pizza guy. And as a result of a shootout, uh, he decided that uh, he wanted to change the way the battle space was and put his mind to work and his creative juices to work and his wife's uh, dining room table to work, uh, making up the first uh, successful soft body armor. Once he made it, of course, uh, more than 30 years ago, there was no way to market it, no way to overcome uh, the resistance and reluctance that is so common with cops. Uh, cops generally are very suspicious groups of people who don't want to believe uh, much of what they're told. And when Richard Davis started talking about this new whiz-bang technology he made, uh, virtually nobody believed him. So he went around the country uh, taking his ballistic material, uh, putting it on, and then shooting himself with a live handgun in front of police officers across the country. Uh, and they got the sense that he was willing to stand behind his product, as it were. For real. Uh, yeah. And then after a while, he got smart and started dropping a phone book in there between the body armor panel and his, and his chest because, of course, he was having a lot of that blunt trauma that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he convinced the world, uh, kind of one doubting audience at a time, that this technology had uh, had some uh, some legs behind it. And then in 1973, the very first officer uh, was actually saved uh, during gunfire 
uh, and that became the first save. And since then, there's been more than 3,000 officers who are accredited as what we call saves from body armor. And it's important to note that body armor has an advantage not only from, obviously, from bullets, but uh, a common killer of cops is uh, the steering wheel uh, in their cruiser. They crash their cruiser, their chest hits the steering column, uh, and in some cases in the old days, they would penetrate into the human. Well, the body armor not only helps stop bullets, but it helps stop some of those things. And some of them also work well with uh, knives, ice picks, uh, other types of devices like that. So there are people who have been saved by body armor um, from things other than bullets. But at the end of the day, if the tool you're wearing uh, saves you from death, uh, the wearer probably doesn't care too much whether it saved them from a bullet or from a from a shiv or from a, a two-by-four or from a steering column. Right. Uh, alive is alive and dead is dead. So there's been now literally many thousands of people who have been saved because of body armor, and that's not even looking at uh, people who have been saved or have had injury reduced within the military uh, community. Uh, so body armor is a, is a pretty cool invention. Uh, Richard Davis is, a, in my opinion, an American hero uh, who who did something that you know is kind of the entrepreneurial American spirit in action. Uh, we expect no less from former Marines, but um, he did he did yeoman's work. He was a great American. Uh, he made a great company. He made a great product. Sadly, many years later, uh, lawyers got involved, and DOJ got involved, and the federal government got involved, and now the world of soft body armor looks uh, looks a little different than it did before. Uh, there's now all sorts of government regulations and standards and testings and websites and. The National Institute of Justice has uh, more material about this than, than anybody, any normal person would ever want to read, and you have to have a huge amount of computer space to download their, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's gotten a lot more complicated, but uh, on the good side, news of the coin, there's a lot more manufacturers of soft body armor out there now, and, and people who uh, might not, you might not think about maybe using body armor, say a pharmacist, for example, uh, can buy it, use it, uh, wear it underneath their uh, lab coat, uh, and protect themselves and their employees um, from armed robberies. Uh, pharmacies see a lot of armed robberies these days, and pharmacists are clearly marked kind of with a uniform of the day. So some of them have chosen to put body armor on underneath their, uh, their white uh, lab coat. And, uh, and other types of Americans, delivery people, People who work on stop and robs, obviously people within the security world, people who have uh, risk assessments done, celebrities, business executives traveling in uh, hostile areas. And there are every kind of product now that you could ever want. Uh, body armor that looks like a raincoat, body armor that looks like a T-shirt, uh, body armor that looks like a vest, body armor panels that you can insert into a briefcase or a backpack or... Um, even a gun, there's one company making a gun holster pouch that is basically a belt pouch for a gun, and then in the back of it's a folded over piece of ballistic paneling, and when you unholster your gun, you dip your head down and lift the thing up over your head, and you got a little ballistic panel right in front of your chest. Uh, it doesn't give you 360 protection, but it does give you a little panel of body armor over your uh, the critical kill zone in your upper uh, upper chest area. So uh, that's kind of the story of soft body armor in, in uh, three minutes or less, but it's a very interesting technology, and there's a lot 
of material out there, and there are now, uh, if you look at the 3,000, more than 3,000 documented saves, um, and you realize a lot of those people went on to get married and have babies and, and have impact on the communities, there are now literally tens of thousands of people who owe some portion of their life or their um, family memories to Richard Davis's uh, willingness in the late 60s to step up to the plate and do something that had never been done before. Cool. Do you do you understand the, the levels that they have on? The levels, it gets a little complicated, um, but I can try to put it in somewhat simplistic terms. If you think about a numbering sequence, uh, and you think about the numbering sequence going basically one, two, three, four, uh, you can you can kind of deduce it that way. Now they use Roman numerals, which are the letter I. So you see the letter one is with just the single letter I, and letter two is with two I's. And then to complicate it, they put a dash A and all that other stuff. But to make it really simple, just think of it as one, two, three, and four. And basically, the higher up you go in the numbering sequence, the greater resistance the body armor will give you. So body armor that has a level of one is the puniest, weakest, uh, least effective body armor that's out there. In fact, it's so um, ineffective that practically nobody makes level one body armor because it's not very effective. Um, 2A is now the next higher level, and this is where it gets a little confusing because 2A is actually lower than 2. So 2A is the next highest level, so it goes 1, then 2A and then 2, and then 3A, and then 3, and then 4. So that's the scheme. So as you go up, the kind of entry-level vest that most people think about in today's world is 2A. And 2A will stop oh, the lion's share of the average rounds that are fired on the street. Most bad guys uh, use handguns when they're applying their criminal trade for precisely the same reason why cops carry handguns. They're easy to carry, they're smaller, they're lighter, they're a little bit more um, easy to shoot, uh, they're easier to conceal, etc. So most criminals use handguns, thankfully. Uh, and so a threat level 2A vest will get your foot in the door pretty solidly and stop most of the calibers that you're going to find on the street. Now, there are some handgun calibers that carry a little more energy, uh, a little more oomph, uh, and they've got a vest that you go up to level two, which then um, really covers the bulk of most of your uh, handgun ammo. Now, there's some weird stuff out there that it might be defeated, but two is a pretty good, solid vest. If you go up to 3A, now you're into a vest that is going to stop virtually everything uh, that's on the market that's handgun-related. It'll stop even the really... Um, kind of esoteric stuff, 44 Magnum, um, really hot submachine gun velocity, 9mm projectiles, uh, stuff that, thankfully, m- most people don't see in the, in the real world. Okay. And then you go up to level 3, and now you're into the rifle um, uh, caliber uh, families. You start getting up higher and uh, past 3, and you're up into things that will stop a lot of the projectiles that would be fired from a common... Uh, rifles that you would see in America, and then of course they even have uh, hard panel inserts that'll put into uh, a vest, and this would be something that a soldier would wear or a SWAT team officer would wear, where they're not worried about the weight, they're not worried about concealment, and they can actually insert some panels. 
some ballistic, solid ballistic panels in addition to the softer material, and those will even stop rifles that are intended to penetrate, uh, you know, building walls and mm. such. So really, it's kind of you can pick any level that you want, but if you think about it in general terms, most folks look at 2A and 2. Uh, that's the lion's share of body armor that's out there on the street today in America is 2A and 2, and just remember that the A is a little less. So the 2A is a little less than the 2. So the, the, the plain old 2 has more protection than a 2A. Okay. Since you're always going to be wearing these things with a whole bunch of clothes on and you're sweating, do they kind of have a shelf life? Mm-hmm. Like anything, um, they're susceptible to wear and tear, and they're all manufactured, whether it's a second chance, point blank, U.S. armor, uh, turtle skin, any of those. They all have factory specifications about the armor, and, um, and they vary a little bit from manufacturer to manufacturer, but basically you want to keep them clean and you want to keep them protected from humidity and degradation. So if you are operating in the tropics of Colombia uh, and you're folding your vest over and cramming it in the back of your cruiser time and time again, uh, your vest is going to suffer some wear and tear and may pick up some moisture uh, that way. Now, if you're putting it in a carrier uh, as an officer and you're wearing it on the outside of your uniform shirt now, some of them are doing that as a vest, outside vest, uh, looks actually pretty cool, uh, and they wear it as a street officer wear it, you get that layer of you know a T-shirt and a regular shirt between your skin and the armor mm-hmm. that keeps the moisture uh, away from the body armor, makes it easier to maintain, keep it clean, keep it dry. But yeah, if if you have a, a body armor, you don't want it to get wet, for example, uh, because wetness actually makes the body armor work better. And while you might think on one level, hey, that's great, I want it to work better. You don't really want that. You want that blend, like we talked about at the very beginning, between the ability to stop the bullet and the ability to absorb some of that ballistic energy. So you want that kind of perfect blend. And when the manufacturer puts together their armor, uh, they've got what they think is just the optimal ratio of those things. So you want to keep your body armor protected from wear and tear. If your uh, manufacturer says, you know, swap it out every five years, then... You're supposed to swap it out every five years. Now, it's not saying they don't work, but a lot of agencies will take their armor. If they bought armor that, say, has a five-year shelf life, uh, they'll take their armor and they'll have their car maintenance guys, the next time they're working on the car panels uh, for their vehicles, take the car panel off and insert the old body armor into the door panels of a car so that they've taken the old body armor and recycled it into a purpose that helps give the officers a little more ballistic protection uh, from behind their car door. So it definitely has a shelf life. You definitely want to follow the manufacturer's recommended warranty uh, uh, data on it. And you hit on probably the most important issue, particularly here in we're here in the Mid-Atlantic region, uh, the heat and humidity issue. Not only will it cause wear and tear issues for your armor, uh, but the most important issue is, is it causes people not to wear it yeah. because they don't they don't want to sweat their buns off. Uh, they're not drinking enough fluid to stay hydrated, and they look at it and they just choose not to wear it. And then, of course, uh, you can relate to this. I was just talking to a to an old timer police officer the other day who's on his retirement. Uh, he's a short timer, and he went to an armed robbery call at a local bank here. And while he was running for cover behind the new whiz-bang architecture of Northern Virginia, 
with their brick fronts and large plate glass windows, which provide very little ballistic resistance, he found himself thinking that he had left his body armor <laughs> back in the squad room. I hate when that happens. Yeah. So here he is responding to an armed robbery call at a bank, and he's looking at the material he has to hide behind and realizing it's pretty much uh, not going to give him the ballistic resistance he wants, and his body armor is somewhere where it shouldn't be, because at that moment in time it needs to be <laughs> firmly on your butt wow. uh, protecting you from harm. Hmm. So that's the, that's the trick of it all. You want to go with body armor that's um, stout enough, heavy enough, strong enough to protect you from the threat that you think is reasonable, but light enough, cool enough, and flexible that it'll be on your butt uh, at that moment in time and not sitting in a locker or not sitting in the back of your car because, sadly, when violence visits, oftentimes you don't have uh, an extra two- or three-minute warning uh, to prepare for it, because in point of fact, if you or I or anybody else were out there and got a little engraved invitation that said violence was going to be coming to this particular spot four minutes in the future, uh, we would DD now out of that area. Right, <laughs> we right. wouldn't be there with the violence <laughs> right, right, right. four minutes. <laughs> so traditionally, we don't get the memo four minutes early that the violence is going to start right on the spot. And I guess even if we did, we wouldn't use body armor. That's true. But, uh, but you got to have it. It's like having your handgun on your holster, you know, in your belt, on your belt, on your holster, ready at hand, uh, having your fire extinguisher. It doesn't do you a lot of good if you don't have it where it needs to be at the time you need it. I think it's actually a good idea for range officers to have, too. You know, it, it's a very good point, Ken. Uh, you're a firearms instructor, and I'm a firearms instructor, and, and you tend to look at that world a little bit. Not only could you have the issue of the accidental discharge, and it does happen from time to time, or the negligent discharge, or unintentional discharge, whatever term you want to use. Hmm. But you do have the issue sometimes with steel targets of, of ricochets. Yes. And sadly, in today's world, every once in a while, you see some whack job who uh, goes to the range and decides they want to kill themselves at the shooting range. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's a murder. Uh, and the only difference between that person killing themselves and killing somebody else is, is I guess, the whim of that person at that moment. Yeah. And having that body armor on, not necessarily a really bad idea for range officers, uh, I think, uh, for a host of reasons, but for but for for no other reason than just because of the steel targets and the potential mm -hmm. ricochets and the potentials of people doing things that are just not normal uh, in that environment. Because you're closed in a you know you're in a closed range area, you can't just. <laughs> it's a bad place to be realizing somebody has a homicidal intent yeah. at a particular moment. Because you got stuff for your eyes, your ears, you got hat for your head for the sunburn, and for some reason you just forget about the opportunity for a, a stray bullet to come your way. Well, and I'll tell you, the last uh, firearms class that I was involved with was uh, a group of politicians and VIPs, and we were handling a Thompson, and, you know, been doing this a long time and never actually saw a round uh, fire off the way this gun did. It had a malfunction, a catastrophic malfunction, and with the breech open, uh, the gun cycled the fresh cartridge up and fired the fresh cartridge with the breech, the action being open. Now, fortunately, at that point, I had taken control of the gun, and based on my training and experience, when we were taught to clear, you always roll the gun over before you work the action. That's just how I was trained when I was <coughs> decades ago, right, and right. Uh, that's what you do in stress. So I rolled the gun over and, and worked the action, and the gun went off, and, and, and fortunately, nobody was harmed. But when you think about the chance of a mechanical failure and you realize that you know, had that gun not been rolled over and had things gone, just a few more things stacked up the wrong way, 
I would have been feeling pretty sheepish about leaving my body armor at home and being on the shooting range as an instructor and catching some fragment or some round going, hey, that's not a good plan. Yeah. I actually um, started wearing body armor when I was doing outside ranges quite often until I destroyed my body armor. But what preempted it was uh, I was actually shooting steel um, and working behind some people who were just blasting away and a piece of metal ricocheted off of the uh, the clay behind on the backstop and it flashed back and hit me in the shirt. And of course, I felt the pain from the metal hit my skin, looked down and saw the red clay on my shirt and thought I had been hit. And to be all honest, I kind of fell out and screamed like a woman. Um, I thought I thought I was shot. <laughs> I'm hit. I'm hit. I'm hit. Call the medic. Well, it was that big clob of clay. Just I just thought, oh man, my guts are hanging out. But it was just the clay. So after I have, that, <laughs> I have a friend of mine who's a long gun guy. He's a sniper, and he was doing a handgun rotation. Well, he likes handguns too, but he's a he's a long gun guy. And they were working uh, reactive targets at a uh, high speed range, which shall remain nameless. And uh, one of the guys he was shooting with caught a uh, ricochet off the steel and he caught it in his throat and he caught it just beside his windpipe Mm. and when he got hit everybody heard they didn't know for sure if they heard the bullet hit him or if they heard his own hand slapping across his throat yeah but they heard the sound and turned to look at him and saw the blood running between his fingers Mm. and he said at that moment in time the pucker factor was pretty high as everybody wondered whether this was a going to be one of those absolutely freak conditions yeah. uh, that the guy was going to die. Fortunately, he didn't die. Fortunately, it was just a small piece of metal fragment. Unfortunately, it didn't hit anything significant. But it goes to your point. Now, body armor, of course, wouldn't have saved him unless he had one of the tactical ones that has the neck collar on it. Yeah. But uh, every time you can hedge your bet yes. from that uh, fickle hand of fate, I think maybe there's uh, something to be said about it. And if you own body armor, and you do and I do, and uh, you look at that and you go, well, if you're going to be out there playing with bullets and you got body armor, why leave your body armor in the closet? Yeah. You get you get lazy, though, sometimes. You sure do. You think it's hot. It's hot it's, um, I don't want to be sweaty. It ruins the lay of your shirt. Doesn't mm-hmm. make your instructor shirt look really good. You know, and if you got a few extra pounds around your middle, not saying that you do. I'm saying <laughs> persons like myself, if you got a few extra pounds around the middle... You realize your body armor doesn't expand the way that it used to uh, years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you get a little lazy, and that's true. It happens to everybody, but I guess that's why we're having this conversation so that we can uh, help people not be so lazy. Absolutely. And plant a little thought into your mind that it's still cool to wear your body armor. Absolutely. Even if it's hot, it's still cool. That's right. Man, thanks so much for taking time out on your Saturday. Anytime, Ken. Always happy to help you and help your show and uh, share a little information and perspective with your audience. So what's going on with LEA right now? Well, we're we're watching like much of the country as uh, ten inches of crap is being forced through a five-inch diameter pipe. And the administration <laughs> is doing things so fast that uh, quite literally, uh, and uh, I don't think LEA is alone in this, that we can't hardly even keep up with the stupid stuff this administration is doing. Uh, let alone, in some cases, and I know legislators don't care that they can't even read. Uh, the legislation that they're passing uh, and and they're considering things. Uh, there's just more stuff to shake a stick at. I mean, I'll just give you a couple points just right off the top of my head. They just got a briefing document yesterday that the feds are thinking about now 
and I'm not making this up. I wish I was making this up about outlawing certain classifications of pocket knives um, as a way to help solve the crime problem. And I'm sure you watched last week when it was leaked out that um, we're now Mirandizing uh, terrorists. Combatants. Yeah, man. And so if, if one understands this correctly, the new world order, not conspiratorial new world order, but the new world order is if we catch, uh, oh, say, oh, I don't know, Osama bin Laden uh, on the battlefield or going to a meeting of other terrorists, that the agents who catch them are supposed to Mirandize them. Um, I think that's just about the most asinine piece of both government policy and law enforcement, you know, terrorism policy that I have heard uh, in recent memory, um, one among many uh, stupid ideas. And this administration has just uh, run off the rails, quite frankly, Ken. I don't know. We, we, we literally can't even keep up with the dumb ideas and stupid things and bad ideas and bad nominees and bad personnel placements and bad policy decisions uh, that this administration seems to be. Um, I don't know how they're doing it. I've never seen anybody move at the speed that they're moving. Uh, they're doing stuff so fast that you don't even have time to tabulate it all before you could even realize that whatever you were tabulating has already <laughs> come and gone, and they've already done it. They spent $4.4 billion to go out to the police community uh, before we even had time to read the language of the legislation to try to figure out what the $4 billion was going to be used for. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's off the hook, my friend. It's off the hook. Wow. Well, keep the fight, Doc. No, sure. Well, given the choice of dying or keep fighting, I think we'll keep fighting a good fight. Absolutely. But, uh, it's certainly something worth keeping your eye on and, and, and having all your uh, audience be listening and paying attention to this Supreme Court nominee and, and do some soul-searching about what they want for uh, protections for the Constitution uh, because these are going to be lifetime appointments, and these folks are going to be holding our most treasured freedoms in, in the palm of their hands. And uh, and uh, when you read their records and you listen to their words and you uh, examine uh, where they seem to want to go, it does not necessarily bode well for our freedoms. Mm. Well said. Well, thanks again, bro. Hey, my pleasure, Ken. Anytime. Let's see here. Okay, we just heard from Ted Deeds of the Law Enforcement Alliance of America. And just in case I didn't tell you before, which I don't think I did, the reason this show is on ballistic vest and protective gear is because a member, just like you, wrote me and said, Hey man, can you cop can you cover this topic for me? I've been asking around. I think it was Adam who asked that. And I said, Yeah, man, I'll get on it. And just like that I called. Um, a couple of people that I knew knew a whole lot more than me. I just wear the stuff. I never invented it or never, you know, went through the process of testing it. And uh, one of the people that I called was Ted because I knew Ted knew um, Mr. Davis that kind of started the whole thing off back in the day. Also, a modern end, um, Doc Wesson, podcaster on the Gun Rights Radio Network and my friend test this stuff on a daily basis and knows his crap so I thought hey take the old and the new and this is what Doc says Doc says that body armor just changed um, 
and requirements. The NIJ, which Ted explained, is going to put a lot of people out of business, according to Doc. He says that soon only the big boys will be around when this new specific or particular category, the NIJ-06, is mandated. And it makes it almost impossible to fail. Uh, Right now, um, I guess vests are tested on the velocity and the penetration. And they have to pass um, a heat tumble test. And with the number of vests that are required by the new requirements, a lot of little companies are not going to make it because they have to spend $25,000 to do it in one iteration. So if that vest doesn't pass, they're screwed out of the money and their product doesn't get the stamp of approval. Um, One of the things both Doc and I agree on, he says that he doesn't see dragon skin making it. Now, dragon skin, for appearance sake and marketing, looks really, really cool. It's a bulletproof vest that has layers on it like fish scales or dragon scales. And word on the street is the stuff doesn't doesn't work real well in uh, military circles. So even though it looks cool, it doesn't work as well as it's supposed to. And Doc says he doesn't think it'll pass the tumble test anyway. And right now, the only company that just passed that NIJ-06 is Safari Land. And that's something, huh? And uh, if you're going to wear something, you want it to work. And this is speakly, uh, strictly speaking of street vests, not military stuff. And for military, Doc says that the Interceptor still wins there. You can check all this out on UrbanShooterPodcast.com. I'm going to put a link up for SafariLand.com. And there's a news press detail link there for you to find out more about Safariland stuff. If you got any questions, you can always shoot them to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Um, what am I saying? If you got questions, just call your brother. It's just like that. Email me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com and I'll make it real. Hey, let me see what else happened. After I got all into this stuff, man, I was like reading all this information. I was doing a web search and I ran across this guy or a company called Miguel Caballero. And I had never heard of the dude before. Um, it's a bulletproof company out of Bogota, Colombia. And uh, he has like outlets all over Latin America, South America, uh, South Africa, I thought, okay, how did I miss this dude before? So I'm doing some searching and I sent him an email, you know, like info at company trying to get some stuff for the show. Miguel Caballero emails me back. This dude is the guy who's made vests for Prince Philippe of Spain, Steven Seagal, the actor, President Alvaro Uribe, of Colombia, President Hugo Chavez of Venezuela, and even our very own President Barack Obama. Yeah. I was shocked, man. So then, what's even got worse was um, dude left me a cell number, so I called him. And I got one whopping bill coming in a couple of weeks or next month. I had no idea. I was calling the Bogota, Colombia. Well, anyway, his company was founded in 1992, and uh, dude is like a regular guy. He makes clothes, not like bulletproof vests like we've seen. He makes suits. The dude's called the Armani 
of protective clothing. He makes suits, polo shirts. I mean, stylish crap that I can't even afford, but um, I'm loving it. And all his stuff is like level 3A and level 4. Yeah, tight, man. And he's been um, selected as 31 best business ideas in the world. Business 2.0 Magazine, New York Times, The Economist, The Financial Times, CNN, BBC, Business Week, Wired Magazine, The History Channel, and The Discovery Channel. It's actually covered this dude, too. So I was feeling pretty, you know, important as a podcaster. The fact that uh, the dude even, like, took my call and we talked. And he's, like, a really cool guy. What's even better is I'm hoping I can get a job with the brother. Maybe sell some of my stuff here in D.C. Open up a little boutique where I can broadcast in the front and sell this uh, expensive, high-class stuff locally. Man, that would be too cool. But that's all because of you, Adam. Thanks, man. Might have gave a brother a new job. If not, <laughs> that's all right, too. All right, we're about to check out for this week, and this concludes episode 119 of the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thank you for joining me, and I am so glad you stuck around. Special thanks to CrossbreedHolsters.com, Urban Shooter Association members, and you. Don't forget, you can become a member of the Urban Shooter, and if you do so before July 4th, you'll be put into the mix of people who can win a new in-the-waistband holster from Crossbreed Holsters. Thanks to Ted Deeds of the Law Enforcement Alliance of America and my good friend Doc Wesson from the Gun Nation podcast for their contribution to my knowledge of body armor. And check out Mr. Omani of Protective Wear, Miguel Caballero at MiguelCaballeroUSA.com. There's also a link on UrbanShooterPodcast.com. And remember to celebrate Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you, my brothers. And I'll be celebrating my birthday in a couple of days on the same day that we celebrate the Heller decision at the U.S. Supreme Court. So me and Mama are going to go out of town and have a little fun, drink a little wine, wine and dine, and maybe get some grind on doing grown folk stuff. So episode 120 might be a little late, but if it is... Give your brother a pass, all right? That's why I made this episode a little longer. The shout-outs continue with um, my new listener from Ohio, Eric. Thanks for joining, my brother. Um, Adam, for the inspiration for talking about body armor. You see, I listen. If people send me ideas or questions or they want to know about something, you help me and you help somebody else learn about something new. And the shout-outs continue. Shout-outs to Oleg and Skunkabilly and Nordic. From the high road. Big Southern high five to the zombie squad down there in Tampa. Derek G in the group. And uh, a big hello to HeroGear.com. They also have a new product out. And you might want to check it out. It'll also be on UrbanShooterPodcast.com. Another shout out to my brother Miles from also known as the Y Guy. Who sent me some audio. I couldn't use it this time. But I gave him some strong critique. That make the guy even better. You got good pipes, Doc. It's going to turn out to be a good uh, audio if you ever want to do it with me or on a handgun podcast or somebody. It's 
going to work. Thanks, man, for letting me uh, look at your stuff. You got skills. I hope you learned something this episode. I know I did. And uh, protect your assets. If you need to contact me, I am just as easy as a click away. Blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Or you can call me toll free at 888-772-6262. Until next time, this is your friend and your brother from a different mother. Letting you know that the difference in people is between their ears. The difference between your present and your future is information. Shalom, baby. Thank you for listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Ken would love to hear from you. Email him at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Talk to you next week.